Good morning. Welcome to Browncroft. Happy Palm Sunday to you. It is great to be with you this morning. I just want to start off by asking you a question. Have you ever listened to a song for so long and then you've realized after a long time you've become disappointed because it actually means something different than what you thought it meant? Ever, ever done that? I mean, it really ever, you know, this is since we were kids, right? This happens. We, a lot of us grew up singing Ring Around the Rosie, right? Ring around the Rosie, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. It's a lovely, fun song about the Black Death, you know, uh, stuff like that. When I was growing up as a kid, uh, I, there, the, this song came out, uh, Born in the USA, right? Real patriotic anthem uh, by Bruce Springsteen. Still played at fireworks uh, shows today. It's really a, a protest song against uh, Vietnam, the, the Vietnam War. Uh, so there's that. Um, even in church, we do this. Even in, in church, we, we get songs and we sing them at the wrong times. Example, Joy to the World. Actually, it's not written as a Christmas song. It's actually written about the second coming of Jesus. So that's kind of crazy. Go, go back, look at the lyrics. It's actually not about Christmas at all. It's kind of a, a weird thing. But we just sing them. We get so used to singing songs at different times that we actually just assume that the meaning is what we, we've always assumed the meaning is. Well, we're, we're looking at a passage this morning that um, is going to kind of make us feel a little bit that way, <laughs> maybe. 1 Corinthians 13 I'll let you turn there, is one of these passages in the Bible. Typically, even if you haven't gone to church for your whole life, you've heard this passage, especially if you've been to, oh, I don't know, a wedding. Weddings are where this passage is read all the time. You know, I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands here, but many marriages within this room have read this passage in the, in the context of our wedding ceremonies. It's not necessarily bad, but it's not where it was intended to be read, actually. This is all in the context of the gathering. So this is all about how you use your gifts in the context of the gathering of God's people. It's a totally different spin on the way that we approach this passage together this morning. In order to understand it, though, you have to know uh, a little bit about Greek. Because in the English, I can use the word love, and I can say, I love a good medium-rare steak, right? Oh, love a good medium-rare steak. I can say, I love the Buffalo Bills, even though they treat me harshly every year. I, I I can say, I love my wife. Right? I use the same word for all three of those things, and believe me, they don't all three mean the same thing. But in Greek, there's actually three different words for love. The first one is eros, which is where we get our word erotic from. It's a, it's a sexual or romantic love. That's one kind of love. Another is phileo, which is where we get the word Philadelphia from. It's uh, the city of brotherly love. It's a brotherly love. It's a friendship love. It's a, yeah, I really, really, really like you kind of love. And then we have the final word, which is agape, which is a self-sacrificial love. It isn't contingent upon another person. It's sacrificing ourself. And if you remember, about a month ago, we talked about communion. And when we gathered together, the church gathered together, they shared a special meal together. Do you, do you guys remember what that was called? 
this meal that they shared together. Anybody remember what that was called when, that was, when they were together? Any? What's, what's that? Passover? No, it, it was celebrated kind of like Passover, yeah, but... I, uh, yeah, I'm hearing murmurings. Okay, let me remind you. They celebrated what was called the love feast together. So every, every time they gathered together, they would share this meal called the love feast. It was the agape feast. That was the word. And so what Paul is doing here in the midst of this passage is saying, you guys are saying you're getting together to celebrate this agape, but you've got it all wrong. This isn't like a a flowery expose on love. This is actually a scathing rebuke of a church that's gone the wrong way. In the words of Inigo Montoya uh, from The Princess Bride, you keep on using that word, but I don't think the word means what you think it means. And so Paul is going back and saying this is what agape really is. So the whole, uh, every time you see the word love in here, he's talking about agape kind of love. Let's start off by reading verses one through three together. It says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but don't have love, I am a, only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that, me, that I might boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. What Paul is doing in this first chunk of verses here is he is calling out different spiritual gifts as we've been talking about over the last few weeks he's calling out different gifts and he's saying if these gifts aren't operating out of love then it means absolutely nothing in the context of the gathering i want to summarize what paul is saying in this passage by one simple phrase and it's this we gather to give not to get We gather, the reason that we get together in the context of even our church service right now is to give, not to get. It's really counterintuitive for us, especially in our society and maybe the way some of us are raised. There's a lot of factors working against us, but that's what I want to sink into our our hearts. Let's look at this passage even, even briefly. When he calls out specific gifts in here, imagine using them apart from love. The first one he calls out is tongues. Uh, Rob talked about this last week, right? If, if we use tongues without love, what you end up with is confusion. People walk into the, the church service and they go, what in the world is happening here? These are crazy people. I don't know what's going on. And so Paul is calling that out. But then he goes on and he talks about the gift of prophecy. As Rob mentioned last week, prophecy isn't about seeing the future as so much as it is about looking at what God says in his word and proclaiming it to other people. Now, it's a beautiful gift to have, but we've all seen this can happen. If you use this gift of prophecy into other people, but you aren't doing it in love, actually what that turns out to be is manipulation. And unfortunately, too many places, you know, that that happens. And some of us have been victims of that. Similarly, knowledge without love. You can go on the Jeopardy of the Bible 
and know every right answer, but if you don't have love, what that leads to is pride in your life. You can go, well, all these other people don't know as much as I do. Look at how much I know. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, Paul says, uh, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. That's how he describes knowledge without love. Faith. Faith without love equals self-righteousness. We end up thinking we are, well, I'm, I'm pretty special. Look at all the faith that I have. I can't believe those other people don't have as much faith in what God can do as what I do. How about giving? Giving without love. All of us should be involved in giving if we're, we're part of the body of Christ. But how about if we give with the wrong motives? Unfortunately, this happens all the time. We, we end up wanting, you know, a wing named after us or, you know, some, some, we want recognition or because I'm giving this amount, that means I should have a say in this, right? It's so easy to twist giving if we aren't doing it in love. And finally, he even says, even if I give my body to be sacrificed to the flames, well, isn't martyrdom like the, the, the ultimate sign of love? It can be. There's people all across this world right now who are in jail or have been killed for their faith in Jesus. But if you're doing that with, without love, if you're doing that just self-serving, we've also seen that you can, in the name of God, sacrifice and actually harm others in the process. So sacrifice without love can actually lead to destruction. And so Paul is calling out these things as a warning to the Corinthians and to us as a church as well, because we gather to give, not to get. We gather to give, not to get. I'm going to keep on reading here. And this is the, the part of the, the chunk of scripture where we sometimes get all, you know, fuzzy feeling inside. And isn't this great? This is so nice. But remember, this is written because the people aren't doing this. Okay? So it's, it's actually, we should be looking for pieces of this that actually when we gather together as a church, this isn't true about us. And we should, we should look at this and go, oh my goodness, what is God speaking to me in this passage? So it starts off and says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That is the picture of what it should be like when we gather together as a body together. This is it. And yet so many of us fall short, right? I fall short of this in my own life. If I look at this list, I say, oh my goodness, is this where I come into the gathering? And I, I don't need to go beyond the first one. I, I want you to, to, to reflect on this, even as I'm talking, and, and pick out a, a couple for yourself. But I don't even need to go on beyond the first one for me. As I think about love is patient. Oh my Lord. Oh, sheesh. I have botched up so many times in my life out of impatience. And specifically in ministry, 
like, I, I have this ability to see into the future of potential, what could be, right? And, and that's a beautiful thing. But at times, what that can do is because I can see what could be, I want to drag people into this future before they're ready and before God wants to do what God wants to do. God is not in this quick process. So many of my prayers even have been, been motivated. I kind of call them now toddler prayers because it's like, God, do this now. God's like, okay, John, I get it. You, you know, I, I admire the heart, but I'll do it when I'm getting around to it. This is, you know, I'm God, you're not. <laughs> and I just want to remind you of that. Um, you know, I think of even teams that I've led before and, uh, you know, some of you are just really natural at putting together agendas. Anybody want to raise it? Anybody just love putting together an agenda? I, I, I loathe putting together agendas for meetings. I've learned how to do it, but it takes me like an hour or two to craft the perfect staff agenda, right? So, like, I, I like put so much thought into it, so much intentionality. And I remember one team I was leading... Uh, Became, I put so much thought into this agenda before we were getting together. And, and as I was gathered, everybody around, I think there was about 10 to 12 of us in this room, I, I, I started to discover, one person started to speak up. They had this going on in their life. Then it, it built. Another person had this going on in their life. And, that, and, then, and then this person chimed in and that person chimed in. And I was staring there, looking at my agenda that I had just created for this meeting. And I'm looking... And I'm looking, and I'm going, oh boy, this is not what I have on the agenda right here. This is not lining up with what's here. And um, I felt something well up within me. And so right there, I, I, I got this look on my face, and I just went like this. All right. Let's talk about what we got to talk about. No agenda's worth it right now. <laughs> it took so much of me to rip up the precious agenda that I had made because I wanted to keep on going, but I realized in that moment, if I keep on going, these people are simply a means to an end. They aren't, they aren't really, I'm not showing love to them. If I were just to move on, that would not be love. That would just be treating people as a means to an end. The next word in here is kind, right? How many of us show up? How many of us find it difficult to speak words of encouragement when we show up to a gathering? When was the last time we just put our arms around somebody and said, hey, thank you so much for the way you've served. I just appreciate seeing your faithfulness here week in and week out. Or I'll skip to the very end here. How about perseverance? Some of us have lived in environments where if one thing goes wrong, we're just like, well, I'm out. And so then, we, you know, inevitably things go wrong in church. So you move from one place to another, to another, to another, because no place is filled with perfect people. So we have a difficult time persevering. I, I don't want to fill in the gaps for you, but, but all of us need to look at this passage in a fresh way. Hopefully, not in a condemning way, but in a fresh way and let it speak into our lives. Here's the positive of this that I see is that Jesus is really the fulfillment of all of these things. This is all about Jesus. Paul goes on to explain different aspects of agape love in his other letters, and he says this about agape love. In Romans 5, 8, 
He says, but God demonstrates his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then he goes on in Galatians 5.13. He says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in agape. Another place, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, he says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, or agape, just as Christ agaped us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in a very real way, we can read this passage and we can say, Jesus, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He isn't proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes. He always perseveres. Oh, I'm glad that I serve Jesus. I'm so glad that we get to celebrate Jesus this morning. We gather to give, not to get. Let me just finish off reading this passage uh, this morning. Paul goes on to say this in verse 8. It says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only as a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. What's Paul saying here? Ultimately, there will be a day, this is the day we hope for, the day we, we anticipate, where all of our spiritual gifts, where all the, the need that we have for these gifts, they, they won't be needed anymore because we will see everything in its fullness, in completeness. And even if you have to distill the basics of who we are and why we gather, you might say they're faith, hope, and love, right? Why we gather together is, is faith. We believe that Jesus is who Jesus says he is, and we believe that Jesus will do what he says he will do. And ultimately, there will be a day when even that faith won't be needed because we will see Jesus face to face as he really is, and the need for faith will disappear. <laughs> Hallelujah for that day. <laughs> yes. And, and hope. My goodness, the older I get, the more I realize my body is breaking down. <laughs> the gym ain't what it used to be, okay? We hope that someday our bodies will be resurrected, right? Someday... The form that we have now, we're gonna, it will be 
full as it was intended to be. We will commune with God in a way that we were totally intended. It will go back to the Garden of Eden, the way that we were meant to live face-to-face with God, new bodies, experiencing God as we were meant to experience him. We have that hope, but someday that hope won't be required anymore. That hope will be real. It, won't, it, won't, it will be a hope of the past. It will be a present reality. But what we will never outgrow is love. We learn to practice it now, and someday we will continue to practice it for all eternity. This true agape kind of love, what we taste a little bit of here in this gathering, someday we'll experience it for all of eternity. We will love God as we were meant to love God, and we will love others as we were meant to love others. That is the true hope of this passage that we have before us this morning. And just because it was written to that church doesn't mean we can't use it for other, other purposes as well, this passage, 1 Corinthians 13. As a, you know, someone in ministry, as a pastor, I get, I get invited into people's lives in significant areas uh, quite often. Sometimes it's marriages. Uh, sometimes uh, it's other occasions in life. And sometimes it's actually funerals. Um, the one time I really did not want to give the eulogy at a funeral was at my mom's funeral. I did not want to do that just a couple of years ago. Um, and I thought about what in the world my aunt, her twin, asked me. She said, would you do the eulogy? And I said, I will. But what in the world will I say? And God actually put this passage in my mind because my mom lived this passage out maybe better than anyone I, I've known in my life. This was her way of life. Um, and so I was sitting there at this little church in rural North Carolina talking about the ways that my mom has lived this out to the members of her tribe. She was Native American and, and um, the members of her tribe and family and friends who were gathered in this little church right next to where she's buried now. But it brought me back to a, a book she used to read me when I was a kid. You guys, have, have any of you read this? The Giving Tree? Yeah, see that? I never understood this. Um, I didn't understand until much later uh, what, my, what motivated my mom to read this to me. Um, and as she would read this to me, I, I still remember this. I mean, I must have been three or four years old, but I would sit on her lap as she would read this story and tears would be rolling down her cheeks as she read it. And I remember thinking, I, I, why is this making mom sad? Now I get it. Now I get it. For those of you who don't know the story, it starts off this way. Once there was a tree, right? And she loved a little boy. And it talks about the story behind a a boy who loves this tree and this tree loves this boy and they start off in this really close 
relationship. And the boy is hugging the tree and climbing the tree. And as the boy gets older, he starts to put subtle demands on the tree. He leaves the tree alone and says, he comes to the tree and says, hey, I want some money. And the tree says, I don't have any money, but you can take my apples. And then it says the boy went away. The, the boy went away with the apples and the tree was happy. And then the boy, as he becomes middle-aged, says, I need a house for my wife and kids. And the tree says, I don't have a house, but you can have my branches. And the boy cuts off all the branches, leaves the tree alone, goes away, and the tree is happy. And then, finally, the boy becomes kind of an older man, and he cuts down the, he, he goes to the tree and says, I want a boat. And the tree says, I don't have a boat. And, but he says, you can take my trunk and make a boat out of my trunk. And the boy does it and walks away, leaving the tree nothing but a stump. And the tree just sits there as a stump and the boy's away. But at the end of the story, the tree is there And it says this, the boy comes back. The boy, now a very old man, says this. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy. Sit down, sit down and rest. And the boy did. As I think about the life that Jesus offers us, man, that word rest resonates with my soul. Sit and rest. And then then the final part of the book says this, and the tree was happy. The end. (laughs) See, I think this is the life that Jesus is inviting us to because this isn't about us. This is about what Jesus has done for us. The ultimate story, even of this, is not about how hard we try or how hard we do. It's about what is sacrificed for us. And that's what we're going to celebrate this morning as we celebrate communion. This is a, a perfect way for us to enter into the week of Easter celebrating the gift that Jesus gives us, which is the gift of sacrificing everything for us. And even as we approach this act of communion together, we should be reflecting. Remember on 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us to enter this place to look at our hearts first, examine our hearts. So really this moment that we're going to participate in together is about... um, First and foremost, it's for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and said, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you to forgive me of my sins. You are the one that I'm relying on, nothing of my own. Forgive me, I place my trust in you. If you've done that, then this is for you. If you haven't, I would say this is the perfect opportunity this morning to place your faith in what Jesus has done for you in that sacrifice that he's given for you. And so I'm going to invite the ushers down. Ushers... um, if you would, you'll be ushering people along the way. We have different stations. 
There'll be an usher at each that, that'll tell you which station to go to. And, and elders and staff are going to be manning these stations. So elders and staff, if you could take uh, place at the station where you're going to be at as well. There's a reason why we're doing it this way. Because as we serve, as we give, this is very symbolic of what Jesus has done for us. So take these moments to prepare your heart. If there's something that you have with someone else in this room, please take this opportunity. Go over, talk to them. If you need prayer, there's even a prayer room over here that you could go to to, to, to ask for prayer. You could do that. Um, but really examine your heart during these moments. We'll come back together and we will partake in the bread and the cup together. But before we do that, let's really engage our hearts in this process, reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, and really determine that this is where we want to be entering the gathering together from this morning. So let me give you some moments uh, of peace to do that. Before we do that, let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to celebrate you what you've done for us. Lord, would you be at work in our hearts? Would you be at work in this place, in this gathering? We remember our sac your, the sacrifice that you have made for us. We can't get to you on our own. This is all about you, Jesus. So would, would this be a celebration of what you have done for us? Even this morning, work in whatever way you want to work. Do what you want to do. This is about you, Jesus, in your name.